Go to Luke, please, the 12th chapter. Luke 12. There was a man in verse uh, 13 that came to Jesus and said, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. He was just sure Jesus would side with him and tell his brother to quit being like that and divide the inheritance with him. You know, uh, Martha was so sure <laughs> Jesus would tell her sister to get her lazy self up and come help her. <laughs> she was. Because she was just sure that Jesus thought just like her. <laughs> and so oftentimes, as the case, people think, oh, yeah, you, me and Jesus are on the same page on this. And, and if they found out the truth, it's not so. <laughs> and he said, you know, would you tell him? And Jesus said, verse 14, he said, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? That was not the answer he was looking for. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. See, the man thought his big deal was getting the part of the inheritance that he felt belonged to him and was coming to him. And Jesus said, no, you shouldn't be focused on that. You should be watching about covetousness. The Bible said in Colossians, covetousness is idolatry. Is that serious? Hmm? Is it just as bad to be a little covetous as being a little idolatrous? Huh? <laughs> well, the Bible says, you know, uh, stubbornness is like that too. Rebellion and stubbornness is like uh, witchcraft and idolatry. Well, witchcraft, let's just stay right there. Is a little witchcraft okay? Huh? What if you came by somebody you knew in the church and you came by to visit them and you knocked on the door, no answer, and you picked in the window and man, they got rooster and goat blood everywhere and they got stuff drawn on the floor and, and they do the, and you say, whoa, man, what are you doing? Uh, you know, I, just a little bit of witchcraft, not much. A little bit. <laughs> exactly the same amount of stubbornness is acceptable. Because the Bible says that's what it's like. Let me go over that again real slow. Why, why did I say that? Because how many people think a little bit of stubbornness? Huh? Let me go over here. See how these folk like it. Huh? You know, a little bit, little bit of stubbornness is kind of a good character trait. <laughs> a rebellion is the very nature of the devil very nature of the devil covetousness is idolatry that means you've got something in the place only God should have you think too much about it you seek it too much you spend too much of your time thinking and talking about it and trying to get it and trying to make it happen. And covetousness, what did the master say? Beware. What did he say? Take heed, watch out, and beware 
of it. If the master says, watch out, beware, what do you know? There's a very real danger of you being in it unless you do what he tells you and make an effort to be on the watch and resist it and not let it in. You can, there's been a, an error in some uh, so-called prosperity teaching and faith teaching, so-called. God is a good God. He's a God of abundance. But he doesn't want you thinking about things all day. Hmm? He does not. Actually, he's a jealous God. Capital J. Have you read it? He is. I know one of the first nice cars that the Lord let me have. I thought, well, I should keep it clean. And, and I was spending a good bit of time messing with it. And I was out in the park, out in the driveway, uh, washing it for the nth time. <laughs> the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, son, if you don't quit spending so much time with this thing, I'm going to regret I let you have it. And it hit me, money, things, stuff must be relegated to a, a lower place in our lives. And when you realize what it is, we, we, we need a revelation of what it is. It is not worthy of worship. People worship money and serve money. People worship stuff. They daydream about it. And some people have heard some me- a few messages on faith and prosperity. And they thought, well, man, that enforces what I think. So they, as long as I make confessions, then I'm okay dreaming about this and thinking about this all day and all night. And it's actually covetousness. When I was at Ramah teaching, I overheard some first-year students one time discussing some things in recreational areas I was coming through. They were talking loud. I was picking up some stuff. and One guy was telling about all the stuff that he had. And apparently he had had some money or whatever before he came to school. And, and he's supposed to be testifying, but he's just bragging. And uh, <laughs> he went on and on about this super expensive this and this super exclusive that and this... And it was kind of annoying. And, and finally, one of the guys spoke up and said, Well, so what? Your pile of ashes will be bigger than mine. <laughs> is it true? Everything down here is going to melt. Somebody says, You believe in global warming? No, I believe in global melting. I believe a lot hotter than that, yeah. Everything down here, every material, physical thing, everything is like a gallon of milk. Anybody know what I mean by that? No? It's got a date on it. And if it's not used by that day, 
it's good for nothing. You don't want to go through your life and after your life with a bunch of nice stuff that you're not using and a bunch of jewelry and clothes or cars that you hardly ever look at or use, a bunch of money that you never use. It just sits there. The Bible talks about people that take it by uh, uh, evil and keep it and never do anything with it, that in the day to come, the rust of it is going to testify against them. We need to be looking around all the time and seeing, can I, is this something I can sow? Is this something, somebody, maybe my brother or sister in the church has been believing for this, and I hadn't even had it on in, in a year. Are y'all with me? It's been sitting in the garage. I hadn't driven it three times, you know, in the last six months, and somebody's believing for that with, for, with everything they know. Are you awake on this? Are Let, and the money... Now, you don't want to be wasteful, but you don't want to just stockpile money. That's not what it's for. It's like that gallon of milk. It's only good for a little while to do something with, and we don't worship it. It is not our God. We don't seek and long after it. We don't serve it. He said, watch out about covetousness. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Somebody say amen. Your amen in Jesus is who I quoted. And he went on to talk about the man, you know, that piled up all his stuff. Keep reading. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. There's a whole lot of emphasis on I, 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 me, mine. Now this, we read this and we think, yeah, that's not good. But did you know this is the so-called American dream? I lost somebody. What do you mean? Well, making enough where you don't have to work hard and you can be secure and you can retire and you can kick back. Verse 19, read it again. You've had much goods laid up for many years. We are financially secure. And we're going to be able to, to kick back. Take it easy. And be set for many years. That is not why we're here on the earth. So we can retire comfortably. We must not live like this life is all there is. Because it's not. We must not get up every day and comb our hair and go to work or school and come back and, and cook and clean and, and get up and do it again and act like this is we're going to do this forever. You're not going to do this forever. And we're not down here just to have fun or just to retire. Or just to raise our kids. Didn't say you couldn't have some fun. Certainly you're supposed to rear your kids properly. But that's not the only reason you're down here. 
God has a purpose. He has a plan. The kingdom of God is in us and it is expanding and it is eternal and God has privileged us to be on the cutting edge of it in this generation. Once in a while, I almost think I can hear Brother Paul, the apostle, hollering at me, saying, boy, if I'd have had the internet and a jet airplane. <laughs> boy, get with it. Get, you, don't have to, you don't know how short your time is. It is so, so brief. And in a few days, nobody will know or care how much money you made or what you owned or if you were an important person, if your name was on a magazine or in an ad or on a name plate. In just a very few days, nobody will remember it or ever care. It's like sand. But every Thing we do by the Spirit in the planning kingdom of God is forever. It is forever. It is eternal. Glory to God. The Lord gave me a, I won't go into it, but He actually gave me an experience and gave me revelation about some things that it just every once in a while it comes to me and it just blesses me. He let me know. That in time to come, much time to come, I'd meet people in heaven and they would stop me and remind me of what I preached back here on earth and how it helped them. Glory to God. Is it true? Is what God does forever? If it was by the utterance of the Spirit, if it was God answering somebody's prayer, and if he was moving and truth came out, does truth ever die? Does it ever fail? Does it ever diminish? Never, ever, ever. And maybe you're not called to stand up and preach, but you're called to do something in the kingdom of God. You have graces and gifts and abilities and opportunities, and it'll be the same thing. I said, if you obey, it'll be the same thing. People will catch you a thousand years from now and say, thank you for doing that. Man, I needed that, and that helped me, and that put me over. Thank you. Thank you. You prayed for me. You encouraged me. You stuck that money in my hand. You paid that bill for me. I needed that. And it helped me, and it just let me know God loved me, and he hadn't forgotten about me, and it helped me. Everybody say eternal. 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 And when you live in the light of that, all this stuff just doesn't, it's not as big in your eyes as it used to be. You can enjoy something nice, but you know it's like a gallon of milk. (laughs) Right? And the clock is ticking. He went on to say, you fool. Tonight your soul will be required of you. And then whose shall those things be which you have provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The Bible talks about two different kinds of rich. Rich in this world and rich in God. Which one you want to be? Rich. You could have all kind of money and not be rich at all. 
still be in poverty. And you could have the, the, you could be a billionaire and still be absolutely bankrupt and in poverty in your soul and in your mind. You know where the richest place to live there is? We're traveled around this country and traveled to other places. And people want to know, where's the best place to live? I have found the best place in the country to live. The will of God. The will of God. Because that's where your grace is. That's where your provision is. That's where the Lord has connected others to you. That's You don't want to be anywhere else. The will of God. Because you don't just live in a geographic location. You live in here. You live in your mind. You live in your spirit. You live your perspective of things. There are people that are in some of the roughest, baddest places in the world, and yet their heart's full of joy. That's where they live. And then there are other people that are in some of the most beautiful, perfect, physically places there are, and inside them is totally dark. They just live in depression every day. So you don't just live in a geographical location. You live in here. And when you're saved, when you're a child of God, And when you're in the perfect will of God, doing what you know you're supposed to be doing, there is that knowing. Have you experienced it, friends? I was coming back one night from another country. We had had some meetings there and some good things had happened, some miracles and and some salvations. and, And I was tired, but I was just, I felt satisfied on the inside. And, uh. I said, I was just thanking the Lord for the healings and, and thanking. And he spoke to my heart. He said, thank you for going. Yes, I thought, huh? Did I, did I hear that right? <laughs> You're thanking me, Lord? And when he said it, it wasn't just words. I knew he was pleased with me about that. And friend, when the Lord is pleased with you, The grass is greener. The sky is bluer. Do you know what I'm talking about? When the Lord is pleased with you, I don't care where you're living physically or what you're doing, inside it's glorious. It's wonderful. There are times that I hadn't always pleased him perfectly. You either. Have there been times that you just felt disgruntled and, and displeased and on the inside? A lot of times what's happening is you're, you're picking up uh, his displeasure with the situation. And it doesn't make you feel good and it doesn't make you happy. But oh, if you live like the master, he said, I do always those things that please him. That's why he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his brother. People portray a picture of Jesus as the man of sorrows. And they have this concept of him, you know, some of the paintings that people have come up with. And he's got a long drawn face and it's just a picture of pain. Well, what about the scripture, Brother Keith? He did take our infirmities. He did bore our sicknesses. He did experience that pain. But that was at the cross. That was at the whipping. He didn't live like that all the time up there and after that. Let me tell you one way you can tell a lot about it. Little kids loved him. Little kids 
love Jesus. They'd see Jesus and just take off and run to him. In fact, there were so many little kids holding on to Jesus' pant leg that the disciples came and said, would you get these kids off of him? You can't be bothering the master. He said, leave them alone. Leave them alone. I can drag them. Let them stay. <laughs> little kids don't like sour pussies. They do not run and want to stay and be around folks that are depressed and in the mully grubs all the time. Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy and gladness above all his brethren. And was he strong? Was Jesus strong? What is our strength? The joy of the Lord is our strength. You know he didn't go around depressed all the time. He was full of joy. Full of life. And one reason is because he pleased the Father all the time. So he lived in the manifested pleasure of God. Which is the manifested love of God. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. I'm trusting the Spirit of God to reveal that. God loves us. No matter what we do, he still loves us. But he's not able to manifest that love to the same degree unless we do what pleases him. Your kids, you know, how much can you reward them when they disobey you? If you obey him, if you please him, you live in the love, the manifested love. Go to John. Hold your place here. John 7. Actually, go to 15. John 15. John 15. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Continue. Same word sometimes translated abide. It means stay. Stay in his love. Now some people just translated that continually walk in love with your brother. But that's not what he said. It's a part of it. Keep reading. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall what? Abide. What does abide mean? Dwell, live, stay. You will stay in my love. Well, what if you don't keep his commandments? Doesn't mean he stops loving you, but you won't live in that manifested love. The love that makes life worth living. And notice the effect. Somebody says, well, how can I tell if I'm living in this love? Oh, it's not hard to tell. The next verse shows you. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Why did Jesus stay Live in this manifested love because he always pleased the Father. Yeah. 
He always did what pleased him. When the Father spoke from heaven over him, when he came up out of the, uh, the river, what did he say to him? Or what did he say about him? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am what? Well I am well pleased. Do you reckon there was any manifestation of something you could sense when the Father said that? What do you suppose you would sense? You would sense love and his pleasure. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide, you will live, you will stay, you will dwell in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandment, and abide and dwell in his love. Uh, without reading the rest of the passage, you know that it is by this love that all men know that we are his. They're not supposed to just hear it. They're supposed to sense it when they get in the same room with us. It's not just words. They're supposed to sense it. They're supposed to perceive. They may not understand what it is, but everybody is made to live in this. I know some 20-some years ago I was in prayer, and you spent some extra time seeking the Lord, and he began to minister to me and manifested his love to me. I don't mean he's telling me he's loving me. I'm experiencing it. And I lay in the floor there in the middle of the night in the dark, and I laughed, and I cried, and I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> and this is what I said with tears in my eyes after a couple of hours. I said, Lord, this is where I want to live forever. And it is. His love is the atmosphere of heaven. Just like we, you know, when you move your hand through here, this is not nothing. Move your hand. We are in an ocean of air. This is not nothing. Just like a fish is in the ocean of water, we're in an ocean of air. And the environment that we were made for is not just water or air, it's God. And He is love. That's what we're made for. And the way to experience the highest degree of it is to completely please Him. Every morning and every afternoon and every night. The more you please Him, the more He's able to manifest His love so that you sense it, you perceive it. We're in it right here, right now. The love of God is in us and all around us, but it can get stronger. I said it can get stronger. It can get stronger until it is tangible in your house, tangible in your car. You won't experience it if you're displeasing God all the time. That doesn't mean he quit loving you. He still loves you. But if you want to live in this manifested love, what did Jesus say? Keep my commandments. Didn't he say it? And verse 11, why did he tell her, these things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is how you can tell you're living in this manifested love. You've got joy. 
I said, you've got joy, you've got joy, 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 joy. And that joy is your strength. And with enough strength and enough grace, you can come through anything. You can overcome anything. With enough strength and grace, you can receive anything and everything that you and I need. We don't need to be clamoring for His presence. We need to please Him. We don't need to be focusing on the provision. We need to be pursuing the plan. Can you see how the enemy is subtle? Can you see it? And he says, well, you you need this and you need that. and, And so he tries to get you to focus on what you need. Instead of what the Lord told us to do. Back to uh, Luke 12. Thanks be unto God. Who always. Causes us to triumph. Revelation gives us a glimpse. Of heaven and the world to come. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more dying. No more crying in in sorrow and desperation. And we can have days of heaven right here on the earth. Can't we? And it's by this that all men will know. That we really are His and that He really is real. It's more than words. The Spirit is in us and around us. And about us. You ought to go around all the time with this great big smile on your face. And it's not something you just paste it on. And people will look at you and go, what's wrong with them? (laughs) Because that is not the usual thing you see in the world. People have got problems, problems. Oh, they got problems. And, and so they're sad and they're crying and they're trying to be strong and keep a firm upper lip, but it's tough. And we ought to just kind of float in and go, glory to God. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? And they go, wonderful? It ain't wonderful, it's awful. And you think, you. He said, you ought to live where I live. (laughs) You you need to move in where I live. Where do you live? I live in the love. I live in the love of God. How can I get there? Receive him and please him. No harder than that. Luke 12, are you back there? Jesus went on to say in verse 22, take no thought for your life. What you going to eat? What you going to put on? Verse 29, he said, seek not what you shall eat and what you shall drink. Should we take these charges seriously? When he said, take no thought, what should we do? Don't give him this, I'm trying. No, no, no. Just don't do it. If you're tempted to, resist it. 
If you find that you've done it for a few minutes, grab it and throw it down. Did you know the devil will try to make you feel guilty and ashamed for thoughts he brought to you? (laughs) Have you found this out? He's a sorry devil. I'm not going to cry one tear when he gets what's coming to him. He is a sorry devil. Sorry devil. I heard a fellow say one time, and I thought it, it was such, so simple, but such powerful truth. He said he was up on this huge multi-story building. Somebody was showing him, and, and he went outside a little bitty rail, and he looked over, and oh, man, cars looked like little bitty toys down there, and, and little people, and, and he kind of held on real tight, and this thought came to him, why don't you just jump? <laughs> and he just said, You jump. I'm not. (laughs) And I thought, yes, 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 yes. Because so many, even believers, even Christians, so many would grip the rail and go, why am I thinking that? And oh man, if you do that, you have opened the door. Here the devil will come and go, well, why do you think? Oh, no, it's weird because you're suicidal. I'm not suicidal. Why are you thinking about jumping off? (laughs) Well, I wasn't really. Well, yes, you were. You were just talking about jumping off. Well, I'm not suicidal. What do you think suicidal people do? They're thinking about jumping off. Sure you are. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And if you take that to heart and think about that the rest of the day and the next day and the next, come on, do you see how the enemy works and how he gets in when it would have been so simple to just turn around and go, I'm not stupid, you jump. I'm not going to jump. I got good sense. I'm not, no. Even the most holy saint of God has found thoughts and feelings that have come to them that are unholy. And twisted and perverted. And you don't have to just get down and feel like, what in the world is wrong with me? Realize where it came from. And cast it down. And give no place to the devil. Don't give him any room to mess with you. Say, absolutely not. God's given me a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. I have the mind of Christ. And just give it no place at all. Thank you, Lord. Jesus went on to say, Seek not what you shall eat, drink. Don't be of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you have need of these things. Your Father knows that you have need of these things. We talked the first night, went over several scriptures about how God has always been, will always be. He's a God of preparation and a God of provision who, who looks ahead and prepares before. Provision means seeing before. And he already knows what you need. And if he already knows 
and he's already made provision. Why do I need to lay awake at night and think about it? Try to figure it out. And he's telling me, don't do that. Don't take anxious thought. And don't lay awake and try to figure out how to make it happen. Don't seek it and pursue it and spend your time on that. Because I already know everything you need. I already know. And I've got it. And I got it lined up. And I got it choreographed. The angels have the schedule. And the Spirit of God knows who to deal with when. And it's going to be in the right person's hand here and at the right time. And it's going to converge with you. And that's not your business. That's his business. Never get your eyes on any individuals or group of individuals. That it's going to come through them. Because that is taking your eyes off your God, your source, your provider, and putting it on people. Never. You have to discipline yourself to do this. Because the more carnal you are, the more real people you can see are, and the less real what you can't see is. Do you know what I mean by that? But you've got to remind yourself, these people are not my problem, and these people are not my provision. Not either one. There are spiritual forces at work. Before we were able to fly private, uh, flew all over the country uh, for years, commercial. And, and we were at one place one day, and there were some storms, and there were all kinds of things. And boy, the airline schedule got so messed up. I'm supposed to speak that evening on the other side of the country, and stuff has been delayed so much until this, that we've barely got enough time if everything worked perfect. The airline ticket area, all that stuff, was packed with people because of the flights that hadn't got out, and they were fit to be tied. And they were upset. And people were lined up, and it seemed like they thought it was their duty, everyone that got to the counter, to chew out the person behind the counter. And uh, by the time we got to him, the man behind the counter, he looked like that poster I saw one time. Uh, this individual, their hair was sticking up like wire, and their eyes were bloodshot, and the caption said, I got one nerve left, and you're on it. <laughs> they, they looked just like that. And, but Phyllis and I, the Lord had been teaching us even years ago, and when we heard all this stuff, we realize it is not time to focus on the airline. It's not time to focus on the man behind the counter. It's time to focus on the Lord. Faith puts no pressure on people. We grabbed hands and we said, Lord, this is your business. This is your meeting we're supposed to be at. We just ask you, whatever needs to be done here, we ask you to do it. And we're looking to you. And if you're looking to him, you don't put any pressure on anybody. So when we finally stepped up to the counter there, Phyllis was talking to the man, and she, she smiled at him and said, uh, hi. He said, hey. And she said, I, I'm sorry that you're having to deal with all this, and, and, and I heard, we've heard how these people have talked to you, and, and, and there's no excuse for that, and, and we're sorry about that. He said, well, what do you need? And we said, well, here's our ticket, and he said, well, let me see. And he, said, and he started saying, he said, well, do you understand all these flights are canceled and, and nothing's going out and, and this, there's no connection for this and there's no connection for that. And click, 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 and click, 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 click. And he's telling all this stuff and he's looking. And finally he said, hmm. Click, 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 click. He said, hmm. 
Hmm, interesting. Click, 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 click. He looked up and he said, where's your bags? Right here. He said, follow me. Put his little thing on the thing, and he took off, and we took off behind him, right behind him, you know. And I mean, this place, you could hardly move. People were, and people looked at us like, what did you do? Why did you, you know, they're just glaring, his daggers, like, did you give them money? What did you do? And, and he, and we followed him, and, and this was before 9-11. We, we went through doors that said no admittance, and we went through doors and, and, and conduits and this. And all at once, we popped out on this bridge and went right on this plane, and first class, we didn't have first class tickets. And we sat down. And he said, he said, I think this plane will get you there on time. We said, thank you so much. Thank you. And he looked and he said, those people that were cussing me before you, they didn't know it. But I could help them or hurt them. <laughs> and we said, well, thank you so much for helping us. And they fired up the engines, and I was preaching that night where I was supposed to be by the grace and goodness of God. Why am I saying this? Because far too many Christians are acting like heathens in these circles. I've been with preachers before that things didn't go right in a restaurant or things didn't go right in this, and they just start chewing on people. And look at me when I look surprised. They said, well, they said, that's just my prophetic anointing. I'm a little strong sometimes. I thought, get out of here. Prophetic anointing? It's called flesh. Flesh. And how often people are so rude to folks, people, on their way to minister to people. I'm going to say that again real slow. (laughs) Just run over folks and rude and ugly because they're in a hurry to go minister to people. (laughs) Well, what are these? (laughs) Why am I saying this? Our God is the God who who already knows what we need. Before you ever found out about it. Weeks, months, years, centuries before you ever knew you were going to need it. He saw it, he knew it, and has already provided for it. And he's the God of favor and grace. And he goes before you. He's dealing with people oftentimes months before you ever meet them. They're having experiences and encounters that's molding and shaping their attitude in little ways and big ways. And it's preparing them to meet you and deal with your situation. And oftentimes this is going on for lengths and lengths of time. But if you show up and act like a heathen, you can mess it all up. Somebody can be in perfect position to show you favor and help you. And then you come across and get in the flesh and it makes them mad and upsets them. And they get in the flesh and they go, well, forget all that. Because they're human. They got a will. They don't have to do it. Even though it's the will and plan of God, they don't have to do it. It pays to be nice. (laughs) I said it pays to be nice. Treat people right. 
I know another time I had a problem with our car. And I took it to the dealership, and it was after, right after quitting time. And, man, it was a, a mob and cars everywhere. And, and guys in suits were talking down to the guys in the work uniforms and demanding and, and this and that. And I, it just went on for several minutes. And, and finally, one of the guys got to me, and, and I said, uh, I looked at his name tag, and, and uh, it was Tom or something. I said, Mr. Tom. When I said Mr., he looked up at me. Like he hadn't been called Mr. in a while. And I said, I know you're busy, sir. And I, this is, a, you got too much to deal with at one time. I don't want to add to your uh, issues. Do you need me to come back another time? What, what do you need me to do? He said, where's your car? <laughs> I'm not trying to bribe the man. I'm not trying to do anything underhanded. I'm just treating him like he's important to the Lord. Are y'all with me on this? He said, where's your car? He went and got my car, pulled it all the way around the line and pulled it into a stall. He said, thank you. We'll we'll get back with you soon on it. I said, great. Thank you. Favor. Somebody say favor. Favor. Is it possible to mess up your own favor? It is by acting like a heathen. Get a hold of your temper. Get a hold of your mouth. Are you listening to me, friends? Do not come rolling into a place and act like folks are obligated to you and like you deserve and like you're entitled. I don't care how much you paid. I don't care what you paid or what you've done. Do not come in there acting like you're entitled and somebody owes you something. Because if you act like somebody owes it to you, it is impossible then for them to be gracious to you. You have taken grace out of the picture. There's a word I avoid concerning myself. Deserve. I have an aversion to it. If people say, oh, Brother Keith, you know, you've worked hard. You deserve that. I go, "Mm." ah, I want to correct them. But most of the time, it's not time or opportunity because I don't believe that. In fact, I know it ain't so. I'm blessed because God is gracious. Are y'all with me? And I nothing, no good thing that I have do I feel like I deserve it. It's just not true. And I don't feel like anybody that I meet owes me anything. Here's a, this is a mentality that will keep you happy all the time. When it comes to people, don't, don't feel like anybody owes you anything and be thankful for everything. It'll keep you happy every day. Every day. If they don't do it, you're not depressed because you weren't expecting them to. If they do do something, you're excited and thankful. Not everybody's excited about this. I'm telling you how to get free. I'm telling you how to keep the favor flowing. Flowing without stop, without interruption. Keep a smile on your face and treat people right and be a giver and not a taker. Giver, sow, sow, give, give. Yeah, but they owe me and I paid good money and that's just like a sinner acts. (laughs) I deserve better. No, you don't. Honey. (laughs) 
You ever heard people say, I just don't understand all this is going on with me. I mean, what did I ever do to deserve this? You really want to know? <laughs> Lots. Plenty. If you and me got what we deserved, have you sinned? Have you come short of the glory of God? If you and me got what we deserved, we'd be sick and broken and depressed all our short, miserable life. We'd die prematurely and go to hell. I don't want to talk about what I deserve. I want to talk about grace. 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 How even though we didn't deserve it, we get to enjoy the fullness of the blessings of the Lord. But you ever get to thinking and acting like you're entitled, you're in trouble. Because now you have made it impossible for even the Lord himself to be gracious to you. You cannot be gracious to someone who feels they deserve it. Let me say it again real slow. You cannot be gracious to someone who feels they deserve it. We are saved not by works. By grace. through Not of works, lest any man should boast. Thank you, Lord. Go with me, please, to First uh, Kings. First Kings, seventeen. First Kings, seventeen. Why do you think the Lord's talking to about these last few minutes, these things? Because. Among other things, I don't know the whole thing, but among other things, people in here are going to fix their focus. They're taking it off of seeking after the stuff, and they're going to actually do some of these things. They're going to seek the plan of God and the favor, the favor, the favor in your workplace, in your community, in your neighborhood. Come on, are you listening to me? The favor God releases will flow like streams. And he doesn't want you and me to mess it up. He wants us to not get in his way. Amen. Because it's by these streams of favor. I mean debts will be released. Things you've been believing for that you thought you were going to have to pay this for, you're going to get it for right at half price to be able to get it. And the provisions, to the way to be able. People are going to look at you and go, I don't know why I'm doing this for you, but we're going to do it like this. And you're just going to smile and say, thank you. And you're not going to act like you deserve it. That's not strong enough in the back. I said, you're not going to act like you deserve it. And you're not going to talk about this, how hard you worked and how hard you prayed. That can be a way of taking the credit. Oh, I prayed and I stood and I did this and I did that and I, 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 I. I've worked so hard. I've stood so firm. No, no, listen to me. 
If it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't have been able to say amen to the prayer. You wouldn't have known where to start and where to end. Come on. It's the grace that gets you started. It's the grace that holds you in the middle. It's the grace that enables you to finish. It's grace, grace, by grace. And if it's by grace, it ain't by you. And we ought to hold up our hands when every good thing happens and just be so thankful and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I know I didn't deserve it, but you did it anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you watch it. The more you're like that and the more thankful you are, the grace will just keep flowing. It'll just keep getting bigger and and keep getting stronger because when the Lord does things for you, you won't take the credit for it. You won't give the credit to your hard work or your smarts or your determination or extraordinary intelligence. Our good looks, you'll give the glory to God. And if you give the glory to God, the blessings will just keep coming. They will just keep coming. Uninterrupted favor. Hallelujah. Glory to God. First Kings 17, did you find it? 1 Kings 17, and we'll start at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. 1 Kings 17 is the story of the prophet Elijah. And verse 1 says, Elijah, the Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, he said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, get you hence. What does get you hence mean? Get out of here. Did you know that is a frequent instruction of the Lord? That's what he told Abraham, didn't he? Get out of here. Get out of here. And turn you eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth that is before Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. You might want to underline there. Did the Lord say, don't be concerned, I'll get back with you end of the week, we're figuring this thing out, because you know famine's going to be through all the land, and it's going to be tough to find water and food. No, what did he say? I have command. This was already set up, isn't it? I have commanded the ravens. To feed you there. Ravens. All that surrounds us is the creation of God. It was formed by the word of God. Certainly it responds to the word of God. Can you see this? Everything around us. And this planet is rich. We haven't begun to tap the riches of this planet. 
And this thing about the, the, the planet cannot sustain the inhabitants is a lie. It is absolutely a lie. God did not create a planet that could not sustain the inhabitants. It's a lie. It's a total lie. We have not begun to utilize the full resources of this planet. But you and I don't individually don't need everything that's here. We just need what's necessary for us to do our job. And good and plenty and abundance to do that. And God spoke for it to come into being. But also he commands that this change direction and come to us to supply us at specific times. I've commanded the ravens. And so he did. Hide yourself by the brook Kareth that is before Jordan. It'll be that you shall drink of the brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Say that out loud. He went and did according to the word of the... Say it again. He went and did according to the word of the Lord. What did he do? He went and did according to the word of the Lord. And he dwelt by the brook Kareth, where he told him to. And what happened as a result of him doing what the Lord told him to do, going where he told him to go, what happened? The ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening. You know, here's the thought. Where are they getting it? Maybe Ahab's house. <laughs> that had the best food. And don't you know the cooks are going, those ravens. Did you see that? Those ravens swept through here and hauled off half of that pie. And then tomorrow, same thing. Oh, no, the ravens. Here they come. <laughs> and Elijah ate good. People are starving to death. And he's eating good. Can God sustain you in any economy? Not just survive. You can flourish when others are perishing. You can expand when others are closing the doors. It should be a witness. Shouldn't it? That makes me feel bad for them. They could get saved and believe God too. See, people want to make anybody that has anything substantially feel bad and guilty for having more than other people. That is a godless position. Because we all have the same source. We all have the same access to the same source. People say, well, you got more than me. You owe it to me. Absolutely not. Why do I owe it to you? Why? Don't you have the same access to God that I do? See, these are godless positions. And people looking at each other and making men their source. 
and fixing their eyes on people who have extra and going, you owe it to me, and trying to put guilt on them and shame. And a lot of people have had blessings and can't even enjoy them because they know, well, these people don't have it. No, no, how come I can have it? They can have it too. And it's great that we can sow whatever the Lord directs us to sow, but it is not okay that they think we owe it to them. Because we're not their source. That includes your relatives. Your brothers, your sisters, your grown kids. Oh, sis, you got to help me. I'm your sis. And you got to help. You are supposed to be led by the Spirit with family, just like with non-family. Oh, that went over big, didn't it? Because the resources that God has put in your hand, you're not supposed to just do whatever strikes your mind to do. You're supposed to check with him. And you're supposed to be led. And what the devil is counting on is that you love that flesh so much that you will let the devil in your house and let him rob you blind. And actually get in God's way. Sometimes folks are enabling others, ungodly lifestyles. They're doing all this stuff, and they're footing the bill for it. And God would let them get hungry. But you won't. Oh, Brother Keith, I don't like That's why I'm going to say it again. God would let them get, he would let them hit the bottom, and he'd let them get hungry, and it would jar them, and they'd look up to him. Come on, are you? they'd look up to him. And they'd repent. And he could do what mama can't do. What do I do, Brother Keith? You pray and you ask the Lord. And if he tells you don't do it, then you don't do it. I don't care how much they cry. I don't care how much trouble. You don't do it. If he tells you don't do it, you don't do it. Makes no difference if you got it or not. Is the Lord your God? We're not supposed to be led by plea. We're not supposed to be led by pay. We're not supposed to be led by price. We're not supposed to be led by need. We're not supposed to be led by opportunity. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit of God. What if Elijah had said, I don't like camping out. <laughs> camping out. I don't like staying in the woods. <laughs> so I'm going to use my faith here in town. I'm going to sow good seed in good ground, and I'm going to stand and believe, and I'm going to confess in town. How would it have worked? It wouldn't have worked because where had God commanded the provision to be? There. Look at the verse. Verse 4. I have commanded the ravens to feed you wherever you might get hungry, wherever you decide to go, whatever you like the best. No. I've commanded them to feed you 
There. Somebody say there. There. Where was this provision? It was there, and it was not a dozen other places. It was there. And the only way he's going to encounter it is if he obeys the word of the Lord and goes and stays there. The Bible says we're supposed to endure hardness as good soldiers. Soldiers are supposed to follow orders. And we got far too many in the body of Christ writing their own orders. <laughs> they are. We got masses of folks in the body AWOL. We do. Well, I'm telling you. What do you think about a soldier? He gets stationed up in northern Alaska. And he says, wow, don't we have a base down in Honolulu? <laughs> I'm going to Honolulu. Can he go to Honolulu? Possible. Is he going to be in so much trouble? Oh, out of the will of the army. Serious, serious trouble. But people in the body of Christ think nothing about it. The Lord sends them to a church. He sends them to a town. He sends them to a place. And if they don't like this or they don't like that, something don't strike them just the right way, I'm going to move. I'm going to go to another place. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get another husband. I'm going to get another wife. I'm gonna, I'm, my, this family's crazy. I'm getting a new one. <laughs> and that church doesn't respect my gift and calling. I'm going to go somewhere where that they'll make a big deal over me. That's why a lot of people prefer small churches. Because they want the attention all the time. Babies, babies. And don't want to grow up. Refuse to grow up. Are you supposed to write your own orders? You're supposed to go where you're sent. And you're supposed to stay where you're stationed. Unless and until you get other orders from headquarters. Not from you. And it's not easy. It's not always easy. There'll be times, there's been times in my life that I came in and I fell across the bed and I said, Lord, I'm putting in a request for a transfer. (laughs) With the utmost sincerity and prayed with great fervor. And it came back, denied. So now I got a choice. What's my choice? Disobey him? Go AWOL? See, people think, well, you know, this is America. (laughs) Home of the free. Brother, I I can go wherever I want to go. I can work anywhere I want to work. I can live anywhere I want to live. I can go to any church I want to. You can but not in the will of God. Parents wrongly, incorrectly tell their children, honey, you can be anything you want to be when you grow up. You're smart, you're pretty, you're handsome, you're intelligent. You can be anything you want to be. Not true. If Jesus is your Lord, you can't be anything you want to be. He's 
He's already ordained you to be a certain thing. He's already, it's not for you to decide what you want to be. It's for you to discover what he's already ordained you to be. And you will not prosper and flourish in any church, in any place, in any job that you decide to do. He said, I have commanded them to feed you there. And I assure you, the ravens would not have delivered to another address. Because <laughs> they, unlike many humans, follow God's directions. <laughs> the flight plan was already set before the famine. And it kicked in and they delivered to one location. And if Elijah was going to benefit from it, he's got to get his little self to that location. Keep reading, though. There's a lot of revelation here concerning provision. The Bible said, verse 5, he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He dwelt by the brook. They brought him bread and flesh in the morning, bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Everybody say, after a while, while, the brook dried up. The brook dried up. up. And the word of the Lord came to him and saying what? Get up. And get yourself to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have what? I have commanded a rich woman. (laughs) Huh? A woman of means. A widow woman. There to sustain you. There's only one source. There are many, many channels. And channels change. And if you don't discern and follow the instruction of the Lord, you can be standing by a dry brook. Trying to figure out what happened. A problem and error in our camp, I'm part of it, faith word camp that I have observed, is numerous folks' dogged determination to, quote, stand on the word without regard to the leading of the Spirit. It has brought tremendous frustration and confusion. To numerous people in our camps. It is an answer to a lot of questions. A dogged determination to quote. Stand on the word. Without regard to the leading of the spirit. 
One of the first times I learned this was some, I don't know, 25 plus years ago. I was on the phone line talking to people that called in for prayer and counseling, that kind of thing. And one morning this lady called in from a large city and she was crying hysterically, wanting prayer. It took me a little bit to get her to calm down. I couldn't tell what was going on. And she, I found out she had just been mugged. Some yahoo knocked her in the head and grabbed her purse and ran off. And she was distraught. Well, I asked her, you know, are you okay? And uh, do you need to go to the hospital? And, and she said, no, I, I think I'm okay. But as she explained, the reason she was really upset is because she felt like she had been standing on the word for protection. And how could this happen to me? She said, I quote the 91st Psalm almost every day. I trust God. I'm a Christian. I serve the Lord. How did this happen to me? And she just starts crying hysterically again. And you can tell the enemy's trying to tell her, God let you down. God failed you. Where is God when you needed him? And so she's plying me with questions, and I'm wet behind the ears ministerially, and I'm thinking, I don't know, you know. Uh, but I checked inside, and I said, Lord, how can I help this lady? What, what can I say to her? What do I need to say to her? And I didn't know for several minutes. But finally, she began to calm down a little bit, and it came up to me. And I just had this prompting, ask her about the day, what was going on. And so I did. And she began to tell me. So I said, you felt like you you needed to go down there. It was in a rough part of town. And she said, well, I had a check about going. You had a check about going. What do you mean? Well, I'd had a check. She said, but I believe the word. And I dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And she began to quote Psalm 91 to me. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? People's dogged determination to stand on the Word without regard to the leading of the Spirit. This is how so many people have gotten in so much trouble. And when they become so, even people got mad at God and quit going to church because they said, well, I stood on the Word. No, you weren't listening. Stand on the Word. It's a big book. What do you mean stand on the word? Which verse? Old Testament? New? Front of the chapter? End of the chapter? How do you stand on the whole book for a situation? Well, I have them alphabetized and I have them grouped by topic and by group. And I just basically pick the ones I like. Uh Uh-uh. That is not how it works. We're supposed to live close enough to the Lord that in every situation, he will quicken to us this word that applies to us, and we're supposed to do that. And if the Lord checks you, don't get in the car. Don't go right now. Don't take that flight. Then you don't start hollering, the angels go with me, and he protects me, and no harm. No, you get your little self back in the house. And you don't go that day. And see, Elijah could have done that here. The brook dried up. Somebody say the brook dried up. You can get attached to channels. 
You can even be nostalgic and sentimental about them. Oh, church people are some of the worst. That altar's got my grandpa's tear stains on it. The glory fell right there. Elijah has experienced miracles in the morning, in the evening. These ravens are flying in like clockwork with great big nice pieces of food. Then all you got to do is sit down and get your big cool glass of water out of the creek and get your big piece of uh, dressing and cornbread and and you're just sitting there and it's just it's just flowing to you. Just come, you're just sitting by the creek. And this happened for a length of time. And then it changed. And God is changing channels on you. And new direction is coming. But it takes faith to leave what has worked for you for years. God's talking to us, friends. It takes faith to walk away from what has worked for you for years and step into somewhere you hadn't been and don't even know how it can work. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. And God is pleased with that's faith. It pleases him. He'll say, okay, turn loose of this now and go over here and I'm going to take care of you over here. And it'll take faith because your flesh will go, that's my, that's my brook. <laughs> That brook has flowed faithful for me for 36 years. I never missed a paycheck. Never. It was always there. I love that old brook. (laughs) You can get sentimental. You can be nostalgic about channels. Particularly if you always had your eyes too much on the channel to begin with and you got too attached to it. You shouldn't have had your eyes on the channel. You should have always had your eyes only on the source and telling yourself on a regular basis, this is just a channel. It can change at any time. This is just a channel. And Elijah could have been like many charismatics and word and faith people. He could have said, now I know it's a drought. And I know naturally this is what happens when there's a drought. But with God, nothing is impossible. And he can make this brook flow again. Brook, I command you to flow in the name of Jesus. Brook, I'm talking to you. Brook. You will flow. (laughs) Nothing's too hard for the Lord. The Lord's hand is not shortened. All things are possible to him that believes. God meets all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. (laughs) And none of that will get your needs met if he's already told you to go to Zarephath. 
You can holler and you can bind the devil and you can loose the angels and you can sow every seed you got. Come on, are you listening to me? And you can command that thing to flow a thousand times a day and you'll stand there and starve to death. Because God told you to get up and get yourself to Zarephath. And it's stretching him. He's got a ministry. The whole ministry is going to keep going with one partner who's a widow. <laughs> Come on now. And when he got there, he found out she can't feed herself. Is that right? She can't feed herself and her kid. They got one little bitty last meal. And that's who God sent him to. If you want supernatural provision, you got to walk by faith, brother. And some of the best advice you will ever hear is what Jesus' mother told him at the wedding feast. Whatever he says to you, do it. <laughs> if he says go to the brook, then you get yourself to the brook. If he says get up and go to Zarephath, then you get up and you go to Zarephath. You know the story. This is one big reason why he's in here. He did it. The Lord said do it. He did it. He took off, cut his sentimental Nostalgic ties, he said, bye-bye, Brooke, you've been good to me, but i got to go. And he headed out, and he went to Zarephath. He didn't know this woman. He's got no contacts there, but he is there by the direction of the Lord. And how many know when you're seeking the plan and kingdom of God, he already knows what you need, and he's already got it prepared, foreordained. For, he said, I've commanded it. And you know the story, he supernaturally caused the meal barrel not to run out and, and the oil thing not to, they ate for many days. Say many days, many days. Many days. Was that the end of it? Uh-uh. After this, the rain began to come. There was a showdown on the mountain with the prophets of Baal. God wrought a great victory. And then Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. You kill all my prophets, I'm killing you. You're a dead man. And he took off and ran. Didn't he? He believed her. And he ran. Verse 3 of chapter 19, he ran for his life. And verse 4, he went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested that he might die. <laughs> You know, James says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as us. He had the same issues with his soul and his feelings, just like we do. And yet God used him to do amazing things. And verse 5, he lay and he slept under a juniper tree. An angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked and there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at the head. And he ate and drank, laid down him again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, get up. And eat, because the journey is great. And he arose and, and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. Say channel change. channel change. 
This sustained him another month and a half. Well, this angel food must be potent stuff. (laughs) Said out loud, ravens, Ravens. widow, Widow. angels. Angels. Do you see something going on here? Did the source change? Source never changes. Did channels change? Oh, yeah. Go here. I've commanded your provision there. Okay, leave there. Go over here. I've commanded your provision. All right, provision here. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to move geographically. It could include it. doesn't have to be. The plan of God involves significant changes, course changes, change. Don't be stuck. Don't be married to a certain job or a certain position. There are some folks, the Lord's dealt with you to do some things on your own. And fear has kept you from stepping out. And especially now, recently, you thought, well, in this economy, this is not a good time to step out and try to, (laughs) I'm seeing looks across the crowd, to, to try to do that. But that's one of the reasons he wanted you to do it, because he wants to show himself up big in this time. And it's too tempting to play it safe. And to squeeze and hold on to what little money you got. And to squeeze and hold on to the little job. Squeeze and hold on to the little uh, little investments. Are scared. Well, if I turn that loose, what will I do? What will I do? What will I do? You don't just do something foolish. But when he tells you to do something, this is the difference. When he directs you to do something, quit clinging to your blankie. And Binky. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? Who is that kid on Peanuts? Linus? Always had that blanket. That's a big part of the body of Christ. If you could see them in the spirit, they got that thing. (laughs) Got the blanket one hand, pass the fire in the other. Been saved 30 years. <laughs> and God's saying, come on now, turn loose of that. I got something bigger for you. I got something a lot bigger and a lot better for you. And they're going, mmm. Mmm. Oh. And the Lord's trying to tug you. He said, come on now, turn loose of this. I got something bigger for you. Leave the brook. It's dried up. Come on. Come over here. We're going to Zarephath. And they start, or cry, cry, spiritually, exactly that way. And their leader's trying to counsel with them and talk to them, and they get mad and they get upset. What are you trying to tell me doing? The just shall live by faith. The just shall walk by faith. Somebody say by faith. Do you want to live by faith? Faith is exciting. Faith is thrilling. Dr. Lillian B. Yeomans, author of several good books on the subject of healing, she said, God delights in his children stepping out over the aching void with nothing underneath their feet except 
the Word of God. And He does. He does. Stand up, everybody, on your feet. Thank you, Lord. I want us to minister to the Lord for a few moments. Let's close our eyes and lift up our hands. Focus on Him. Let's begin to tell Him that He's our source and we know it. Oh, Lord, we, we take our eyes off of every channel that you've ever used in every situation. You are my source. Thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.